Dealmaker Insights, the podcast brought to you by Reed Smith's corporate and finance lawyers from around the globe. In this podcast series, we explore the various legal and financial issues impacting your deals. Should you have any questions on any of the content through this series, please contact our speakers. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dealmaker Insights. Uh, it's Leeling Po, and I'm here with my colleague Nina Borders to discuss IP matters that you might want to take into consideration when dealing with emerging growth companies. I'm a partner in the global corporate group here in San Francisco. I work with emerging growth companies, both representing companies and also representing investors in rounds of financing as well as general day-to-day matters. I'd like to turn it over to my colleague, Nina Borders, to introduce herself. Thank you, Leeling. I'm Nina Borders. I am Counseling Intellectual Property Group here at Reed Smith, based in our Palo Alto office in Silicon Valley. I focus my practice on intellectual property portfolio development for clients, as well as transactional matters, M&A matters, and various intellectual property-related contract negotiations. So Nina, you and I have worked on quite a few deals together. And I think that in doing these deals, we've seen a few major areas of concern that companies should look out for, and sometimes also investors, right, with respect to intellectual property. I guess first off, we can sort of might be helpful to talk about the key IP rights that companies need to take into consideration. I know that we've discussed how important it is to tailor the kind of IP that a company is looking to protect to, you know, the business of the company, the industry that it's in. So can you give us some high level buckets and considerations of what companies might want to think about? Sure, of course. I th- I think the key thing here really is to is to make sure that the company is thinking comprehensively about the intellectual property rights that it needs and that may be available to it. I think I think the first thing that that companies think about and we know investors also think about is patent rights. And and patent rights are, are very important and can be a really an important source of protection for companies. But for certain products and in certain industries, patents, particularly utility patents, may actually be more difficult to get. And so I think then it becomes critical to really think beyond that. So is it an option to get a design patent, for example? Design patents can also be very valuable assets for the company. And we found that design patents can be valuable for consumer products companies and also even for software companies or companies that are providing a new cloud platform where they may be able to pursue design patent protection, actually, for the user interfaces for that particular application or that particular program. Another thing to think about uh, trademarks. All companies have a company name or a particular product line. Trademark protection might be critical for that and really an important asset to think about developing for the company. Software companies may also want to think about copyright protection for their code. The patent protection, I think, for software-related inventions right now, the law is always in flux, and it can be really difficult to get patents, particularly utility patents, for software but copyright protection may be an important 
right to consider and can still afford some some protection and provide the company with some guardrails for that work that they're doing. And then another thing to think about is trade secret protection, where if there's something that a formula for a pharmaceutical company or a food company or a specific algorithm or a process for doing something that a technology company develops, there may be, it may be difficult to get other types of IP protection, but trade secret protection may be an option. How about like sort of a data that's being gathered by a company, would that fall under trade secret as well? It can, yes, it can. It kind of, I think, depends on the industry and then what specific data is being gathered or collected. But I think that is definitely something, I think that's a great point. And I think that's something that companies should really consider too. And then I think the only other thing I was going to make the point about trade secret protection too is a company would just need to implement some internal protocols to make sure that that information is being kept appropriately confidential. But I do think that's something that really should be considered as a very, very viable option and a a valuable form of intellectual property for the company. Yeah, thanks, Nina. That was a helpful overview. I think also some of the things that, you know, we run across, you know, both representing companies in diligence, particularly in the early stages, you know, a series A round where typically it's, you know, uh, an outside investor, you know, making that large investment at that time. Other things to consider are making sure that the IP has been properly assigned to the company. And, you know, investors look for this. Uh, Companies need to to be prepared to respond to this. And I know that in a lot of like very typical financing purchase documentation, there is a very common rep representation asking the company that, you know, all employees and consultants have properly signed an invention assignment agreement. So do you have, you know, any thoughts about how soon you should have them in place and best practices? I know sooner is better than later. And, you know, what sort of things that you are making sure that you have in that invention assignment agreement? Sure, of course. I think that's a great question, Li Ling. And I think, of course, it's important to, to do and, and get an invention assignment agreement in place as quickly as you can. And I think particularly from those employees that may be developing intellectual property for the company, if not for all employees, definitely for the, for the, those engineers and anyone in research and development or any other key areas where they could be developing IP for the company, as I mentioned. And I think we've both seen this. It can be difficult for companies to really think about prioritizing that, you know, particularly for a a new company starting out, there's so many things, there's so many priorities, you know, it can be difficult to really think about prioritizing an invention assignment agreement for IP. That's not necessarily something that you initially want to prioritize. But what we've seen, I think, is when companies don't either don't have it in place or don't get them executed and, and on file, if you will, for the company, quickly, it can really create problems down the road. So for example, and and of course, as we know, and Liling, as you were alluding to, it's really important that the company's IP rights and those assets are cleanly owned by the company. And particularly, I think in the context of patents and, and copyrights, where there's certain 
aspects and in certain ways that patents and copyrights will not be immediately assigned to the company. And so I think having an explicit invention assignment agreement for, for patents, particularly for other confidential materials, and then particularly for, for software, it's really important to have that invention assignment agreement in place because that will help the company avoid problems and, and messes, even if you will, later with respect to what IP they own. I know that there's been a lot of focus, right? Like Nina, you had mentioned in making sure that the proper documentation is on file for employees. How about when it comes to independent contractors? Because, you know, in my experience, sometimes if there's going to be an area with less focus, it tends to be with respect to the independent contractors. And It's important to make sure that the company gets to own the appropriate IP rights, especially if an independent contractor also is seeking to retain certain rights with respect to its IP. And there might be a conflict between both parties. And it's it's imperative, I think, to work that out in the documentation to delineate who owns what coming into the relationship. Because I think waiting to kind of deal with that at a later point is fraught with a lot of issues. This can come up in diligence, right? You and I have just recently worked on this issue with a client that is working with a very large company uh, and the company is trying to essentially shoehorn, as you had mentioned, its own form, IP form onto the company, even though uh, it's not appropriate for the situation. Um, Could you give us a little bit more, uh, I guess, color into that and other things that companies uh, should look out for in dealing with independent contractors? Sure. I think it's it's a good question and it's such an important issue because it, it comes up so often and companies are hiring contractors to do different types of work in different types of projects for them. And I think it's really important for the company to think about for any contractors that they're hiring really, what are they going to be getting from the contractor? What's what's the work product? What service is the contractor being hired to provide? What's the deliverable there? And I think it's the company should really look to include in any contract with their consultant, with their contractor, an intellectual property assignment, an invention assignment for whatever they reasonably can get from that particular contractor or consultant. And depending on the industry that the consultant is operating in and, and what the what service the consultant is providing, it's not always a clear line. You know, there may be some instances or some services that certain consultants are providing, like Leeling, you were you were providing the example that we're working on right now where if a client is not necessarily providing customized deliverables or developing a customized software platform for a company, the company may find that the consultant wants to maintain the IP rights in whatever they're providing to the company. So I think it's really going to be important for the company to look and not gloss over that language in the contract or the, the statement of work or whatever it is and really look at, okay, what are we getting from this consultant? What can we reasonably expect to own and what might the consultant want to retain their intellectual property rights in? In terms of founders, so we talked about employees generally, we talked, we've talked about independent contractors, focusing on founders and making sure that they have properly assigned their IP to the company. 
is, I think, a, an important part of diligence as well. I mean, we've come across a few cases where original founders that may no longer be active with the company or, you know, there's a separation event of some sort who have, who are initially there at formation, but have not properly signed um, an invention assignment agreement. And I think there is a lot of, this will come up A, during diligence, and then B, there is a desire to obviously get that uh, documentation properly executed by the investor. And that part, that second part, getting the documentation signed can be very difficult, you know, because at that point, it gives the former founder or the departing founder a lot of leverage at that point. They can, you know, perhaps ask for more equity. Sometimes we've seen that too in return for that signature. So it's important to get ahead of it, you know, to make sure that all of the founders have properly assigned their IP before it becomes an issue. Any best practices, Nina, for you know, companies to take into consideration to avoid these issues down the road? Well, I think it's a great question and such uh, an issue that comes up, of course, more often than companies might like to see. I think it's so important, again, with everything companies have going on, it is so important as much as possible to try to get out in front of these issues and really move the intellectual property rights up to the top of the priority list or up up closer to the top, maybe, I should say. And it's so hard to do when companies have so much going on, but it can prevent, as you just said, so much hassle and difficulty and entanglement, even if you will later. And I think I think the key thing is, again, to really make sure that any founders agreements, in addition to the traditional roles and responsibilities or equity stakes that I think you mentioned, Leeling, make sure that it clearly says what intellectual property rights does the company own? Are there any rights that the founder is retaining? And is the company okay with that? And really lay it out and and spell it out there. Because I think it just, if it doesn't happen, then, you know, I think we can see a lot of problems later, as I just said. And I think, you know, the founder may be coming even earlier on, the founder may have obligations to its prior employer. If its prior employer is in a similar industry than the, that the company is in, then you may have some issues where the IP rights are overlapping, where then the company would need to think about, do they need to even, if possible, delay some of their innovation efforts, delay even some of their provisional patent filings or, or non-provisional patent filings, whatever is appropriate, until they can they can really straighten out and really understand what the founder's rights are and what may be the company's IP and what obligations the founder may have to their prior employer, I think is really going to be helpful to the company down the road. But it's hard to do. But I think it's just if the company can really keep these issues top of mind, I think it's really going to help the company moving forward and as the company continues to grow. So we talked about data access earlier on as a kind of IP that uh, companies might want to consider protecting. And I wanted to follow up on that just because I know that in particular, some of our corporate venture capital investors have been focusing more on data access as a kind of IP that they're interested in and making sure that a company has 
gathered it properly is able to use it appropriately. Do you have any thoughts on that, Nina? Well, I think just generally, I mean, this is a whole topic unto itself, of course. I mean, we could have a a full additional podcast just on on this topic, I think. But but as a general matter, I think it's really going to be important for companies to really think about and understand the, the data that they may be collecting in their business, data that they're collecting from customers, data that they might be collecting internally, particularly personal information. And depending on the industry that they're in, different industries have different requirements for how they, how companies need to be handling data. Such as healthcare. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Healthcare companies have different requirements. And so I think, I think the key thing to keep in mind here too is, and this is something that has become so much more important over the last few years. I think as as we all probably know in the past, unless a company was really data heavy or really their their core business was data collection, you know, privacy and data security were much more minor considerations. But now, of course, with the passage of the laws in Europe, the GDPR, the CCPA here in, in California, it's it's a totally different situation. So I think how a company manages its data and particularly the consumer data is going to be very important. I think as you alluded to and and mentioned earlier, Leeling, I think if the company does not manage the data appropriately and prevent unauthorized disclosures of the data or preserve the confidentiality of certain data, it's really going to expose the company to significant liability, which which of course a company would want to avoid. So it's, it's definitely something that I think needs to be, again, prioritized and, and kept top of mind as much as possible. And the companies need to implement the appropriate IT security measures to make sure that that they can comply with the data security requirements for the various jurisdictions where they may be operating. Is our consent sort of like a, a consideration too? Consents from, you know, clients or users to allow the company to use the data? Is that part of the consideration? Yes. Yes, it definitely is something I think to to be taking into consideration. Great. Well, I appreciate your taking the time to chat with me today, Nina. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to Dealmaker Insights with Leeling and Nina. Catch you next time. Thank you. Dealmaker Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's corporate and financial industry practices, please email dealmakerinsights at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.